When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 398 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and he's LeBron, a.k.a. Barcelona. And today, we are reviewing Barcelona versus Inter Milan. And unlike Bayern, when we could talk about the game and the way the game was played more than the outcome, this is, unfortunately, all about the outcome. And this is a bad outcome. That's where we begin. Obviously, a draw I thought was necessary to get four points from two matches in two weeks against Inter Milan. And that isn't a draw. And I think the catastrophizing has begun. Levon, and I think I'm going to let you speak first, and then I'll fill that space behind. I mean, we are obviously in a hole. So the good thing is that the match against um, Inter, the one that everything is riding on, is one week from now, and not at the end of this grueling five, six-week period that we are in. But I think that is the only positive thing that I can think of. Oh, I agree with that sentiment, that Barcelona at home next week a 3 nothing win against Inter Milan. I mean, yes, the Bayern Munich matches matter. The Victoria Pilsen gold differential matters. And we're doing math. But a 2 nothing or 3 nothing victory against Inter Milan next week at the Spotify Camp No changes the... It changes everything. It changes the way that this match is perceived. I think it changes... But again, that's a year... I mean, a week from now, right? So we're going to have to right. talk about this match through the lens of Barcelona potentially dropping to the Europa League for the second straight year, which seems like an impossibility with the squad that was brought in. And of course, that in itself is an abject failure. And I think, again, just so many bigger ideas here, right? Even the whole Champions League versus the Liga. In the Liga, Barcelona have given up one goal in all their matches in the Liga so far this season. 
And then in the three matches in the Champions League, they've given up four goals. And in those four goals, it's two losses as well. So, right. It, but I think also something very weird is going on here because we know that Barcelona has problems with Seferin. Uh, we also know that uh, Nasser El Khalifi, who is the owner of Paris Saint-Germain, and actually the whole of Qatar is against Barcelona. This is because of the rivalry between Barcelona and Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, it's also because of the way that we uh, dumped Qatar as a sponsor. So when these things come together and we spend this money, we invest this money, and we draw the group of death, there's only one group of death out of eight, and we're in there. And then such a clear handball is not given. I start asking questions. For context, you're talking and about the, the late penalty that should have been against Denzel Dumfries just minutes after the goal was called offside. Well, not minutes, but 20 minutes after Ansu Fati's hand touches the ball and that goal is yeah. taken off the off the board. Now we're talking about the And Denzel I think Dumfries it makes one. sense that Ansu's foul was uh, disallowed. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't think he touched the ball enough to actually influence the play because it had such speed and he just touched it with the uh, tips, tips of his fingers, but he touched it. But then Dumfries, the first two takes, I was not completely clear, but I saw three different angles in which it is super clear that he he has his hand up high and the ball just hits his hand fully. Mm -hmm. Um, In the age of VAR, especially in the Champions League, I know in domestic leagues it's, it's a mess, but generally in the Champions League, VAR has been really good. For this not to be given, it's just not credible. This does not look like an honest mistake because we don't see many of these honest mistakes in in, in the age of VAR in the Champions League. We do see 50-50 calls. This was not a 50-50 call. Nowhere near a 50-50 call. This is 100% hands. Yeah, I mean, I I think taking almost a different approach to this that I've seen, again, the catastrophizing the way that Barcelona played tonight. And my sense was... When it comes, as you mentioned, with the Champions League, with with one match, with 90 minutes, that VAR and the decisions of this match, and that's what makes it, as as bad as it sounds, I mean, that's what makes it feel European, that VAR felt like it was a main protagonist in this game. And that's why, not to be positive about next week, but that's why I kind of peel back how I think awful people feel about the way that Barcelona play, which is the next thing we have to do and we'll talk about for the rest of the show. But in the case of the way this match was actually decided, the way that I mean, their goal was their goal, yes, but the way that Barcelona did not get on the board and VAR playing such a major role in that, I mean, that's my bigger takeaway than anything else. I'm not talking about conspiracy or what was unfair or what was fair. I'm saying that VAR being a main protagonist in the way that this match shakes out in a one nothing loss for Barcelona, it kind of makes me step back and say, hey, you know, I, I know that you're saying, again, the outcome is what makes us feel like spoiled milk. It's not necessarily the way that Barcelona played now still getting a fat zero on the board after 90 minutes. That's kind of what we have to break down. And yes, the calls did not go Barcelona's way, but they also didn't put the ball in the net from open play either. And I think that is where we have to figure out. I think our challenge now here, Levon is figuring out what is needing to be changed for next week. What is need to be analyzed and looked at and seriously reconsidered for next week. And what is something that we can chop up to this being 90 minutes and, and Inter Milan, again, a good squad who had, uh, I, I thought the different even approaches that both these managers took to this game was pretty interesting. And I thought these 
different. I mean, they were so radically different in their approaches in terms of the way that they play, the styles of play, even with Inter playing in that five three two, with Barcelona playing in their with their three five two, if you will, or their you know the four three three. Whether they're defending or well, they had possession for seventy percent of the time. But the point is, I, I think as far as what Xavi needs to tweak and change, you know, I feel like this could be a ten minute podcast because even other than we're going to talk about Dembele Rafinha. I think we definitely talk about Marcus Alonso and Balder, but even I, what am I supposed to say about that? <laughs> you pick, literally picked the wrong guy. That's it. That's like, yeah, but well, we can get into that more nuance. But yeah, I mean, do you think Xavi radically got this wrong in terms of his starting lineup and how he set up the approach to this match? No, no. I mean, he has so many players to choose from. So to say that, you know, only one specific 11 set up in one specific way will, will win us the match to say that, um, Playing Balde instead of Alonso is going to win the match. I don't see it. I don't think. I don't think Alonso was great, but I, I don't think he was that much worse than other players either. And it's not as if when Balde came on, it really changed anything. I, I know that one is like uh, everybody's favorite player right now, and the other one is a player that people love to hate. But if you look at those performances and you imagine them as players without you imagine just a stick, stick figures then you're not going to tell me that one played significantly better than the other what what i think was an issue and this is an issue that we have touched upon in previous podcasts also when we talked about the team is there's this huge empty space in the middle of the pitch especially when we are attacking it's like the, the center of the pitch is vacated so pedri and gavi they they're off to a side, and we hardly create anything from from the middle. Mm-hmm. So we just play the ball wide to Dembélé, and then people tell me that Dembélé had a poor match. Okay, unfair again. He or fair, I mean, he did not shine. But most of the times when you give Dembélé the ball, there's two players in front of him, and there's nobody he can really pass the ball to. Like the only passing lane he has is. Back to Sergio Roberto. Even Lewandowski never went for the first post. So that is not uh, as much an, an issue of formation, uh, but it's an issue of w- what are you asking players to do? Well, I think first I, I want to respond with the Alonso Balde thing. And I think if you were to switch when, or if you were to switch their minutes today, I think obviously the intention of Barcelona in the time that the, they were on the field were different. So when Balde came on as a sub, Barcelona were obviously pushing. And so you did see a bit exactly. more influence from him. The other thing too is the role or the positioning of Debele because he switched flanks. So in that first half, I mean, Alianta Milan really did. They, they said to Barcelona, your open space is going to be on the left wing for Marcus Alonso. So if Marcus Alonso is the one that's going to beat us, then we're going to lose by his hand in that first half. And Marcus Alonso isn't going to beat you. And it, they would have done the same thing to Balde. Because if Dem- if you're going to play Dembele on the right wing, that means that that left wing is going to be open. And we'll get into Rafinha in a second. But then, obviously, in the second half, when Dembele goes over to the right, now you have Ansu and Balde, a two-for-one. So now there is help on that left side for combinations and the like, because that other inter-defender is now shading over to Dembele's side. And you're absolutely right that pinning it so much on the wings in Alonso or in Dembele in this particular case, which is, again, where you're seeing a lot of the vitriol, it does kind of almost give a pass to Pedri and Gabi and that creation in the middle field, as well as Lewandowski, where 
it's not so much a criticism of him because he had DeVry and Skriniar with him the whole time. And I'm not saying that Lewandowski did something wrong. I'm saying that Skriniar and DeVry did a really good job. They did a really good job passing him off, communicating, and just being on his body. Physically, they were on top of him the entire match, didn't give him any breathing space. And you're right, he really didn't make that many runs to the near post to 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 support Demolé. The only one who was really doing that was Busquets, who even had that that late header attempt that that went wide. And so I think more than Alonso, I think the concern also comes for Rafinha, where you wonder how Rafinha could have had more of an impact on this match. Because I, I agree with you too about the Dembélé point, that I don't know how you can say that or make Dembélé some kind of scapegoat in this match when the weight of this match is also on him. Barcelona, if they won this match, he would have been the man of the match. He had to be. The way that this match was going, Dembélé was going to be the one who changed things. He was going to be the one who made the difference and won Barcelona three points. That was going to be him. You're going to credit him with that. And if he couldn't do that, then Barcelona seemed like they weren't going to get a result tonight. So that is what you're putting on Dembélé in this match. Like, So if you're going to scapegoat him, then understand the importance of which he has to this. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Exactly. And at halftime, uh, I was on Twitter and we were discussing that ballet and some people were like, oh, we need to take him off. No. And I said, well, he's the only one. He's creating anything. He's the only one creating space for himself or, or for his teammates. And then when Petri scored the equalizer, I almost replied, see? Yeah. Because Dembele was the one who created that goal. But then before I could hit tweet, uh, the goal was disallowed. Yeah. I mean, from so... this match, I think you see how, how essential. I mean, and when you talk about system and tactics and, and the, the roles of certain players, you saw from this match. Now, Lewandowski obviously has been scoring Barcelona to the top of the league table so far. But you saw from this match how Dembele, Busquets, and Pedri are essential, absolutely essential to what Xavi's system and program and whole idea is. And I don't think Busquets was particularly good. I don't think he, I don't think he has been great this whole season. I, I thought he was much uh, better in the last 25 minutes. I thought he was really good in the last 25 minutes, but I agree with you for the first like 60 minutes, not really influential, but I think everything was running through him then late on when Barcelona were pressing. I, I also think that I don't, I don't mind Hafinha's starting on the left because Dembele is better on the right, but I think it would be good that if Rafinha plays poorly on the left, that they switch. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was a problem during 60 minutes of the of, of the match. Rafinha was just non-existent for 60 minutes, and and that cost us. But because if Rafinha plays well, then that opens up even more space for everybody else. And especially if if you're going to play Rafinha on the left and then play him on the in that half space on the inside, well, that, then you might as well put Dembele there and Rafinha on the right. Because if you're going to play Rafinha on the left, play him wide mm-hmm. and make him make him take players on, make him reach the um, the back line on the inside, he just loses loses his advantage because that's that's a position in which um, you need to be able to shoot with your right foot instead of your left. Yeah, that's a position you need Ferran Torres in for, 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 for Ansu. Or Ansu, or Ansu, right. Yeah. As we saw in that or second Ansu. half, as when yeah. Ansu came on, I mean, you saw the difference when, I mean, there was it's... two different times when Ansu created something and was able to get that turn off because he's more comfortable on his left, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's very difficult to judge. The, the last 25 minutes, because Inter, like before they were playing with nine, they were defending with nine, nine and a half minutes. Yeah. And then the last 20 minutes, they just defended with 10. So is that what made us look better? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do think, think I, I, I mean, I do think that Barcelona were, they were clearly, it was much more direct. And I think you actually said something on Twitter about this in the beginning of the match that Barcelona's press, I thought for the first 10 to 15 minutes, I agreed with you, was pretty good, looked organized and was, kind of cutting out that space and you felt like Barcelona could on one of those counterattacks on that press make something happen. But you're right. Like I was trying to figure out in about the 28th minute or so, what adjustment did it's Inzaghi make that changed things. And other than, I, I feel like he dropped Correa in a little bit deeper. And I think that extra man support, like right in front of Brea kind of helped him a little bit, but I couldn't really figure out what Inzaghi did to kind of neutralize a bit of the press other than, I mean, did Bar- did Xavi on the other side kind of say to the Hounds of War, hey, we're giving up a bit too much space in behind? You know, because I felt like 
you know, I, I think people were in early on, especially with that handball scare, kind of getting on Eric Garcia. We know that he can get cut out when he's forced to defend 1v1 a little bit, when be the reactive center back, like we talk about, fouls from behind as always. But Christensen was solid. I mean, I think Barcelona defensively, again, Inter won one nothing. The ta- whole narrative this changes if a wonder goal isn't scored. I mean, it was scored from, from 35 yards away. It slips right no, past. No, not 35. Or, or, what is it, 25? Yeah. So it slips in. It's a 20. Lo- 20. It's a long, it's good, it's hard. As also, I think that's the more frustrating part too. When I looked at, when I when I watched Inter Milan, which I sat myself through Roma, I sat myself through highlights of other games this season, and from watching Inter, here's how they score. We saw it. They score from Tanalalu from deep in some way, or off a set piece, which they were close to as well. And other than that, it's going to be Borea up to one of the wingers, that being usually it's Dem- uh, Dumfries when he starts. And then it's Jekko and Lautaro Martinez kind of doing things in the box. So Char Martinez has, was it, the most first-time shots on goal of anybody in in all of the top five leagues. And that's because Latour Martinez doesn't really create for himself too much of anything. And so Barcelona kind of knew what Inter wanted to do. And Inter got a goal in one of the three or four ways that they managed to score goals. And what has so far for them not been a great campaign either. And again, the reason why I have so much confidence in Barcelona returning home is that Inter Milan snuck by Barca, having won the VAR fight, having barely won at home, and kept Barcelona out when they didn't play their best. Inter didn't play their best either, but Inter also hasn't played their best this season. While Barca, over and over in the Liga, have played their best. And I just, there's a part of me that says Barcelona are better than this, and this is kind of who Inter have been, though, of everything I've seen. Yeah, I've only seen, what, 120 minutes or whatever, but like this is what I've seen from 120 minutes of, of Inter so far this season. And I think Barca just have a, they have an extra gear to go up, and I think the next thing that becomes of figuring out what Xavi's going to do to kind of upgrade what Barca going to do and I mean, I think it's just figure out how to get on the front foot a little bit quicker. I mean, how to use a home crowd, how to actually play at home and play in confidence with Europe. I, I think it might be as simple as that. Like fight all those stupid entangles I talk about. I don't know if there's tactics you really need to fix or change. I think you just need to go for it. I, I would like to see more, more interplay in the midfield. And you're saying, in, you're saying interplay, one word, not interplay. You don't want to see Inter Milan play. You're saying, you're saying no, interplay. No, interplay. Okay. So I would like to see Petri and Gavi closer. I would like to see, and I think both Ansu and Rafinha are capable of this. So if you're going to play Rafinha on the plath or Ansu or even Ferran, I can see scenarios where you overload the left side of the pitch and then switch play to Dembele so that Dembele and Lewandowski can wreak havoc on, 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 on the other flank. Uh, I think we should use our midfielders more. This, this has been... Something that has been in my mind the whole season so far. It's a bit surprising because Xavi Hernandez is the prototype of a player who ran everything through through midfield. Uh, and with Busquets and Pedri and also Gavi, uh, you would think that he can find a way of playing through midfield more. And I don't know why it's not happening. And it could be that I'm not seeing things properly. That's That's also very possible because, you know, Xavi Hernandez knows a lot more about football than I do. And so do Pedri and Gavi yeah. and every, everybody on that pitch. And Inzaghi and, and Lukaku with his first touch of lead. So is Lukaku back next week, by the way? He could be. Brozovic is not. That, that I'm certain of. Okay. Um, and apparently Tom Martino yeah. wasn't 100% either today. But, uh, but yeah. when you no, do bring... the Lukaku Garcia matchup, 
it's not something that I'm looking forward to. I would agree with that. And you could see PK start for that reason. I think well done by Xavi to kind of anticipate that Jekka was supposed to be the starter. And so good job by Xavi to anticipate that Jekka wasn't going to start. So PK doesn't start. And then, I mean, again, it's unfortunate. Hopefully Christensen, we're recording this without having knowledge of Christensen's situation, but it just looks like a bloodied ankle at this point. But that's a good point too about the, the, I'd like to see, and again, we're recording this in time. I haven't even checked the Gabi to Lewandowski, just number of completed passes. Because you're right, like it seems like Pedri and Lewandowski are starting to begin to have a bit of a partnership. I'm not sure is that because does Lewandowski like to turn off that shoulder that takes him into the direction that, that or where the through ball is coming, and kind of like as he kind of wants it to roll across his body, moving to what would be over his right shoulder. Is it that Lewandowski wants to do that more? I mean, I know that he can do both. I mean, he's pretty multifaceted in that way. But I can't think of too many connections between Gabi and Lewandowski. But I, I think, not to answer my own question here, but I think it also has something to do with the fact that because Gabi is on Dembele's side when he's on the right wing, Gabi's first look is obviously to stretch play and continue to move the ball out wide to the wing to Dembele. So he's always closer to that touchline than he is trying to get into the middle field and, and kind of moving in. And, and I'm wondering if that's on purpose, is that by design, or is it is is there something about Gabi's vision or when he goes to turn that he's not immediately seeing Lewandowski or Lewandowski's not even making the run to check to Gabi for them to have some kind of combination. Cause I just, I don't see that partnership in any way. I, I would say that the run dictates the pass mm. and I did not see many passing lanes to Lewandowski today. Yeah. Neither from Gabi nor Pedri or from anybody else for that matter. Right. He touched the ball like what? Less than 15 times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and Sergio Roberto had over a hundred touches today. Uh, I mean, it just tells you the match, the way the match went. I mean, that, that tells you that what how the match was dictated. I mean, Roberto obviously picked up a lot of late touches as Barcelona were pressing too. Mm-hmm. And and to, to go to the other side too with Roberto, where I don't think there was anything that Roberto necessarily particularly did wrong today. You know, there, I don't think there's any way to scapegoat him. And the only questions you wind up asking is, as you say, I mean, as you go through player by player, you say, oh, this is the player that people stand for, people love, that you have all the parody accounts of, not parody, but you have all like the fan mm-hmm. accounts of, and then these are the players that people don't like. And in the case of Roberto, I go, I mean, if he, if that was Araujo in that same circumstance, playing right back in this kind of match, right? Or even if it was Kunde, and they, and he had the exact same match and played the exact same passes, what would we be saying about Kunde's performance? I would have said it would have been solid. I would have said it would have been just fine. But because none of those passes wound up being anything advantageous for Barcelona, I, I think in the same way that Araujo or Kunde, and that's a problem that Barcelona have. Araujo or Kunde would have been the same thing. They wouldn't have overlapped with Dembélé either. Like they wouldn't have opened no. up space or gone or gone wide or or allowed Dembélé to cut in or or had that that like none of those three players have that ball back to the 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 penalty spot or back to the top no. of the eighteen. No, but none of the three of them really have that look. And that's not and not that been a Rafa, mm-hmm. then people would say that they had a poor match because we know of Rafa's problems on the ball. Mm-hmm. So it becomes easy to say that when he is on the ball and nothing gets created. Then, then we blame him. Yeah. If it's Kunde, people like Kunde, so they'll say he had a good match. <laughs> yeah. Cesar Roberto, I don't think he had a poor match, but he did not really do anything that really helped us either. Well, and well, that's the key, right? Like that's the whole thing about the argument about Barcelona in Europe that Roberto is not a player. Like we know he's a player that we can trust to a point, but he's not a player that when Barcelona don't have ideas is going to have the idea that you need. And that's what happens that when Barcelona has Unless you're crosses, five on behind. Unless you're five on right. Right. And it's that was now five. We're getting old. It's five, six years ago. So Roberto, you're right. Roberto is not the player. Like again, when you're throwing 50 crosses in, it's just it's hard to believe that Roberto and Marcus Alonso. I'm, that's I mean, talking to Chelsea fans, it's not even that 
I'm not saying out on Lonzo. It's that Chelsea fans kind of warn Barcelona fans coming in. Here's what his level is. Like, this is the kind of player that he is. Like, he's not going to win you a match. But also, there's a lot of times when he's not going to lose you a match. When your team is better, it's good to have Marcus Alonso on your side. But if your team needs an answer and your team is fighting and pushing, he's not going to be some kind of winner, some kind of savior for you. And I think that's the big difference between a player like Roberto and the player that Barcelona think they want. But in the same regard, like, I don't know what, not even on Xavi's bench, but like, who does Barcelona even bring in to, to be that difference maker, to be that person that changes things? I, I think if, again, if Barcelona put the ball in the back of the net, like if that Pedri goal wasn't called out or Barcelona get a penalty and it's one, one, like none of these conversations we're having. And I know like it's, I know it seems counterintuitive, but it's like, I felt like other matches of Barcelona in the league have won, whether it's two, one or four, one or whatever the score is like the score doesn't matter. We talk about Barcelona, how they played well or not. And I think this whole number, the big number one, nothing dictates literally everything we're talking about. I know I'm sounding like a, a broken record here about that, but it's true. Like all the narratives are written by the score in a way that they aren't for the rest of the season because we judge Barca on how they play otherwise. Okay. So here's a question. All that space that Marco Alonso had mm-hmm. in the first half, because in the first half he was played the ball a lot of times where you cannot really blame him for nothing happening, but still he was played the ball in a lot of advantages uh, positions. Or advantageous positions. Yeah, I mean, he overcooked. There was three crosses in particular that I, I that I think he should be criticized for. He's overcooked three straight passes that were like, come on. Hold on. What if that had been Jordi Alba? I mean, I think Jordi Alba he still... might have done better. I Oh, that's where you're going? I'm glad we're going in the same direction. Yes, I agree with you. There was one in particular that he was... He had way too much time and space that he completely... It was like the 15th minute. Totally overcooked it. And the minute he hit that, I had the same idea. I went, Jordi Alba's cross is better. Because that cross was really, really bad. But Jordi Alba's cross is better. You're right. And I think, and I don't think in this match, there were too many times, because Darmian isn't really a offensive threat. There were so many times in this match where I went, yeah, I don't think Marcus Alonso's defensive abilities being an upgrade to Alba was the difference in this match in any way. Like there was that one header he had away that was helpful on a cross. But I mean, Alba might have had that as well. Or I think it was Eric Garcia right behind him to, to clean that up at that moment. So yeah, I mean, I think that there is this world where Alba was more influential in this match. And these are these decisions. Like, again, I just don't Mm -hmm. think, I also felt like with those crosses, this is not a disservice to to Alonso, but like he hadn't really played for Barcelona much at all. Like that was what I was thinking too, when I was watching him and Rafinha kind of work together on that left wing, they've never worked together before. And you're telling them in the most important game of the season. I mean, I mean, Bayern be damned. Like this was the most important match of the season. And you have two players that have never played on the same side together trying to figure it out against a, an inter-team that's pretty well-constructed by, again, Inzaghi's been playing the same way now for two years. He's brought in some of his guys, even from his Lazio days. And so he has a system and he has his defensive fortitude set. So I, I think I was just a bit concerned about the chemistry just not being there. And he did not look totally sharp to me. Again, and I think there's a difference between bad and not sharp. To me, he didn't look bad. He looked not sharp. Um, well, the person who did not look sharp there was Rafinha. Correct. Oh, uh, well... Yeah, I mean, that was where I actually lead a little more towards bad than than not sharp, because I think there was just something systemically bad about where he was set up and how the approach to Rafinha in that match was. Yeah, but even then, like there was no crispness, mm-hmm. there was no energy, um, and that that is not explained by a position, because with his skill set, yeah, he can still try to take people on, he can still try to make things happen. He can still provide energy, and he didn't. Yeah. So how like, do you... all of this is true, no matter where you're playing. Yeah. Right. Because a lot of people say, "Oh, 
he's played out of position. La, 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 la. Well, you know, football is football. You receive the ball and then you do something with the ball. So, of course, Rafinha is a bit better on the right. That doesn't mean that he should suck on the left. And anyway, it's not as if he never played on the left during his, during his career. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, even on that side, there, again, he's dynamic, he's quick, he has terrific footwork. So, yeah, I mean, there, there has to be a way through there. Uh, he just has to be better. I mean, and it's okay. Like, it's not criticizing the player or in totality. It's like today he needed to be better. A number of mm-hmm. Barcelona players needed to be better for Barcelona to win. And yeah. I think the other part of that, again, is why Barcelona could have finished this match 1-1 or they could have won 2-1 is because certain players were kind of, as I said, like Christensen, it's a shame he got hurt because what, very much like Dembele, like if Christensen wound up playing out the full 90 minutes or Barcelona got a result, one of my five headlines, which I, I'm still working on and that'll probably be out before this comes out, but like one of my five headlines was going to be and might still be about Christensen because he was just so solid, just so solid again. That's the only word that kind of wraps him up and he did everything he needed to do. He's good on the ball. He makes all the right decisions. He tries to move the ball quickly. And that was the other thing too, that I, I think is kind of being lost in this, where you say that Barcelona need to move the ball quicker, but I, I think other than through the midfield, they need to, I mean, that ball needs to be moving through the midfield diagonally and vertically a little bit quicker, but like horizontally, I mean, people were taking one. I don't think people were taking more than two touches or any amount of time on the ball. Like Barcelona had more than 720 passes on the night against Inter Milan. Like they took a team that was, I mean, again, that is like a top Serie A team and they just put them on the back foot all night and they passed around them and passed around them and passed around them. And they never got the passes that they wanted to get because Inter didn't give up those passes. So Inter followed their game plan. Yes. But in the same regard, like, I don't know how much more passing needs to be done. I don't know how much more quicker, like you just have to find those spaces. And I mean, again, it's like what you said, where those runs like weren't coming. And so I, I think a lot of it, continues to go back to Lewandowski and that midfield. Like, how do you support that? I mean, how do you support Lewandowski? And how does Lewandowski even better better support his teammates? I mean, well, I was going to say too, it's, right before Pedri scores, right? In that buildup, where did Lewandowski pick that ball up? Do you remember? Lewandowski was the one who came all the way back to the sideline to, to get that ball. And that moment when Skriniar was, that is where he's uncomfortable. When you bring Skriniar that far out, because why would you bring Lewandowski that far out? When he dropped in deep and then made that run in, that is what unbalanced the that penalty box of Inter for really the only time when Inter's yeah, 18 I mean, was out of whack. And that's because Lewandowski put them in a different spot. I just think next week, I would hope that Lewandowski kind of shakes it up just a little bit more. I think just a little more variables in his movement can do wonders to kind of make sure that Inter don't have to just figure out how to hand them off. It's a lot more difficult to defend somebody who arrives to a spot than to defend them if he's already there. Yeah. So, yeah, then... Lewandowski should have been more dynamic. I think this was easily his worst match uh, so far this season. At the same time, it's not all on him. And I, I would like I would like to see that space right behind Lewandowski fill, filled more often. Mm-hmm. Because that also, like, I think that is a space where you need somebody either to threaten the shot uh, or to threaten, like, uh, flick-ons uh, quick combos, quick through balls, but it seems that by by, by design, from a set offense, we don't fill that space soon enough. I, and it's weird because the the moment that we play Cassie, he plays more central. Yeah, when we're in the offense, but further forward. Right. We saw the same against so Mallorca. So he still does too. not. 
Yeah. He still does not occupy that space <laughs> right behind yep. the striker. And I, I just don't get it. Yeah, I mean, part of me wonders if it has a lot to do with Busquets and how Barcelona are set up to deal with the counterattack, where because Busquets is kind of stapled to where he is, like he's the one that's likely... Well, I think about who's delivering that pass that you're talking about. Who's likely delivering that pass? It's going to be Busquets nine out of 10 times, right? And I think that even looking at Inter on the other side, that pass that you're talking about was delivered at least four or five times. Now, Barcelona also had more bodies forward, so we're talking about a different numbers game. But when that pass was played, it was pay- played by Canalagu. It was played by Borea. And it, once it was also attempted by... Well, oh, DeVry also attempted one of those. On the other side, we see Garcia will try to pop it out once or twice a game or try. The, the intent is there. And then we see PK when he does come on once a game. And then again, pretty much the rest of them are all Busquets. Like, you very rarely do you see long diagonal balls from... Well, I mean, you'll see it'll be to one of the out, the outside backs, but you very rarely do you see Pedri drop in and then like he's going to drive forward with the ball, right? He's going to go. I mean, we, he's in, when you're that good at dribbling and that good at being so press resistant, Pedri is playing to his skill set when he's dribbling forward like that and getting on the front foot. But we really never see Gabi dropping to any kind of position and then trying to play some kind of ball in behind. And I think you're right. Like Barcelona are a bit limited in their ideas, especially vertically. You know, there, it really is a diagonal game to get it to the wings and then, and then come back inside because you, again, when you have an elite finisher like Lewandowski, you'd think that in a game that you get off 50 crosses and you have Robert Lewandowski, that's again, another just I'm broken record. That's another frustrating part. It's like 50 crosses, yeah. Robert Lewandowski's in your team. How did you lose that game? You had 50 crosses. There were 50 crosses. Barcelona completed 11 and 50, 22%. Yeah. Yeah. Not great. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Not great. Yeah. But, but here also, that's, that's what I'm saying. If you, if you want to take advantage of that, create overloads before you switch play. Yeah. And Xavi did that with Dembele last season. You know, it's not as if I'm some kind of genius or, or even the Xavi is a genius because he's not the first one to 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 think of this. But yeah, we we pass the ball a lot, but most of it is from defenders to Busquets or the Busquets back to the defender, then we go to the fullback and then we go to the wing. Yep. And then Dembele has to beat two people. Mhm. Or they recycle, or it just goes to the other side. Or they recycle. Through the yeah. same progression, yep. Yeah, but, but, but then when Dembele passes the ball back to Sergio Roberto, that, that's when you want somebody in that half space where Sergio Roberto can play the ball to. Yeah. It was interesting, though. In the first half, Gabi did make two or three of the runs, but the ball was never played. He, he makes the runs behind the defensive line mm-hmm. towards the back line mm-hmm. from, from that space. True. Uh, but, I just, and... but those balls didn't come off. Like it's no. just, and and no. I think that was one of the issues too because you saw the frustration from Gabi on like the second time that it wasn't played the first time it was Dembele the second time it was Roberto so it was both of them and you saw both times I mean Gabi's pretty expressive so you could see from two hundred yards away with the camera that he was frustrated that ball didn't get off because that's true like then it's not that he's and, and that's a tough thing for a player too when that ball doesn't come off to you then how many other of those runs I didn't watch Gabi in particular to see how many times he did that in the second half but then you you kind of stop making that run, like maybe not on purpose. Obviously, Xavi's going to try to keep them up to it. But okay, so as we kind of wrap the show up, I, mean, we're, I think we can keep kind of lamenting this for a while, but I think people kind of got their fill of it. So as far as Celta de Vigo, and I have another show coming out this week where I'll figure that out and focus more on the league again. But just kind of looking ahead real quick to Inter next week. I mean, we've kind of talked about the approach, but do you basically keep a similar approach and just go for it at home? Or is there something like radically that, 
I mean, you kind of said the midfield that needs to be adjusted, but I, I mean, just give me your final thoughts of this. Yeah. Looking ahead to next week. Yeah. You might want to start all day. I would do the same for the energy or Alma for that matter, but I would go with all day. You might want to start Rafinha on the right. Um, it's really a shame that Ferran Torres is going through, through his confidence crisis and that Ansu is not really where we want him to be either because you would think that either one would contribute a whole lot to this game. It's very difficult to say. Let's see also what happens on the weekend, how people play. I think Cassie might be a good player for for this game just just because Lewandowski needs help there. And with, with Kese, you might create a bit more concern for the people covering Lewandowski. But honestly, I'm grasping at straws. Based on this match, I would play either Jordi Alba or Balde. And if Lukaku is fit, then um, even though I thought Eric Garcia played well today, uh, I would play Piquet and, and Christensen if, if he can play. Yeah. Uh, and you know that I'm a huge Eric Garcia fan, but Eric Garcia is the size of Lukaku's big toe. Yeah, I know. I agree. It's a it's a matchup. It's a matchup issue for him, and that's okay. Like players are limited by their matchups too, and it's like we, we can't overstate where every every defender. That's the point about center backs. Like every def- center back has a reason why they're not the best center back. That's why we can't from year to year unequivocally decide which one is the best or who's an elite center back because their whole thing is getting undone by attackers. And that's why attackers make the money. That's why they're the famous players. Like all center backs. What are you saying? Done in... I'm saying Carlos that all... Puyol is the best center back. Come on. Well, if we if, listen, if Xavi could call up Carlos Puyol, I think he would call up Carlos Puyol. We'll, we'll maybe give him a call. We'll see if he's available to come on a, on a, one of those. Uh, is there something in the Liga about like a legends can sign for a day or something? But uh, anyway, <laughs> all right. So we'll, we'll look ahead. Certainly next week, we have another show coming out later in the week, but yes, just like uh, the rest of the listeners, disappointed but as i said not to say i'm optimistic but this is still very much as much as it's it feels like it's not in their hands this is in barcelona's hands they're going back to they're going back home and i want to remind you too even in the best years when they were constantly making those those quarterfinals and things there were nervy years there were nervy moments but barcelona at home almost always took care of business and that was a difference so one nothing there weren't any nerve nervy group stages never no <laughs> Maybe I was nervous because I was younger then. I don't know, but uh, I'm maybe I'm maybe I'm burnt out now from all from being nervous in Europe. So I don't know. I, I'm less nervous, I think, than most, just because I think the ball is very much in Barcelona's hands at home, and they can go out and they smack Inter Milan around three nothing, then they advance in the Champions League, and that's it. So, all right, follow Levon on Twitter as always, uh, and uh, we will talk to you again soon. So, have a good one. Bye, Bye. Take care, bro. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.